You're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's topic is entitled Truth's Enemies. Hello, my radio friends. It's great to have your company today for another Give Me the Bible program. You may be surprised and even challenged by today's talk, so stay listening. In a previous program, I shared with you some thoughts about what is truth and about the difference between absolute truth and relative truth. Today, we'll consider the other side of this subject, that is, the enemies of truth. On June 11, 1962, John F. Kennedy commenced an address at Yale University in Connecticut, USA, with this statement. He said, The greatest enemy of truth is very often not the lie, deliberate, contrived and dishonest, but the myth, persistent, persuasive and unrealistic. Too often we hold on to the clichés of our forebears. We subject all facts to a prefabricated set of interpretations. We enjoy the comfort of opinion without the discomfort of thought. Now what Kennedy said highlights something that's going on in our world today and has been going on for millennia. People believe certain things to be true because they are said to be true whether they're true or not. And that shapes the way we think, how we act and how we interpret what is going on in the world. There are numerous myths that abound and no doubt you've been subject to and probably allow some of those myths to influence you to some degree. Take this one for example. The number 13 is regarded as unlucky. Is that myth true? Obviously some people think so because many tall buildings do not have a 13th floor. Do you react when a black cat crosses your path? Are you likely to become involved in an argument if you spill salt? And do you avoid walking under a ladder? Then, what about touching wood if you're uncertain about something? If so, your thoughts and actions are being controlled by a myth. Myths give rise to traditions. Neither myths nor traditions are necessarily based on nor in truth. They just happen to be. And I'd like to postulate that tradition is a major enemy of truth. And here I want to share part of an article written by Lawrence Blanchard in an essay on the three greatest enemies of truth. He asks, Does tradition control what you believe and what you think the Bible teaches? The cry of the reformers was, Sola 
Scriptura as a protest against the Catholic Church, where their teachings were based on traditions and not on the Bible alone as the final authority. Of course, that was a noble attempt of those who sought for the unfettered truth of the Bible and suffered for it. It was a great struggle for the freedom of every man to read and study the Bible for himself. I commend the Reformers and those who led us into that freedom. But does that necessarily mean that their teachings were without error or that none of their teachings need correction? Are we to conclude that the Protestants have now arrived at the exact truth of what the Bible says? Is there no room for an honest re-examination of the Holy Scriptures? Apparently not, for there are many traditional sacred cows of the doctrinal sort that must not be touched or questioned or even mentioned. Indeed, Protestants have fallen into the same trap as historic and modern Catholicism. Tradition rules over the Bible and the study and interpretation of it. Tradition was the basis for the self-centred doctrines of the Pharisees in Jesus' day. So powerful was tradition that people were afraid to question it or they would be thrown out of the establishment church, which would have had a direct impact on the rest of their lives. The consequences of unjust ostracism from society were quite a hardship. Who would dare to associate with you or help you or give you a job unless they also wanted to run the risk of banishment? But Protestants have fallen into the trap of tradition and they act like the Pharisees and Catholics. Tradition has become more sacred than biblical truth. And that's the end of the article that I was reading to you. In writing to the early church in Galatia, the Apostle Paul also warned about a similar problem that was exposing itself in the church. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 9 to 11, Paul wrote, How is it? that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid for you, lest I have laboured for you in vain. Paul pointed out to those new Christians that instead in living in the freedom in understanding the truth of salvation through Jesus Christ, some of them were turning back to their traditional Jewish and with others pagan ways. And then he forcibly asked these people, Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? And that's from verse 16. Tradition is a major enemy of truth. And the experience in the Galatian church highlights this. 
There was much contention between those who maintained the pure teaching of Jesus and of the apostles and those who wanted to observe their traditional ways. Lawrence Blanchard wrote about Protestants falling into the same trap and following traditions instead of truth, as revealed in the Holy Scriptures. There is no biblical support for the commonly taught and observed practices concerning, firstly, Sunday worship, secondly, ever-burning hell, thirdly, infant baptism, and that when someone dies they continue ex to exist in another form in another place. Yet these and other ideas have become firmly entrenched in modern-day Protestant beliefs and practices. I too am a Protestant, but I'm so glad that I belong to a religious organisation that purely bases its beliefs on the Word of God and has not become infected with non-biblical beliefs and practices based in tradition. In Genesis chapter 3 is the record of sin entering the world. Satan, in the form of a serpent, told a blatant lie in direct opposition to what God had said. Satan said, You shall not surely die, when Eve told him that if she disobeyed God she would die. It's openly taught in many Protestant churches that at death the soul lives on, either in paradise or hell. Satan's lie has become the tradition of many churches. Tradition is a major enemy of truth. But now we'll consider a second enemy of truth, and that's fear. Fear can cause a person to avoid, contort, or deny truth. Truth has consequences, and some of those consequences are not pleasant and can be dangerous. Usually people instinctively know what potential consequences would result from seeking, knowing, accepting, and proclaiming truth. These consequences can be summed up like this. Fear of loss, that is, loss of friends, family, reputation, job security, opportunity, protection, um, and vulnerability to prosecution and persecution and loss of life, and fear paralyzes and erects a huge barrier to truth. You know, it takes a lot of courage to stand up for truth when you, as a minority, belong to a family or a cultural or religious group that holds on to tradition. I think, for example, of people such as a Muslim who learns about salvation through Jesus Christ and who lives in fear of being found out. Often, 
such people practice their Christianity secretly. There are thousands of stories of people who have suffered greatly because they stood out for truth. Many of those people have been persecuted and or killed because they stood up and spoke out for what they knew was right. I think of the multi-millions of Protestants killed by the Roman Church during the Dark Ages and the Protestant Reformation simply because they accepted the teachings of the Bible instead of what was dictated to them by the predominant Roman Church. In the Gospel of John, chapter 9 is the story of the blind man who was healed by Jesus. And after the break, I'm going to share this story with you. follow your leading and trust your design in moments like these I sing out a song I sing out a praise song to you Lord in moments like these I lift up my my hands to
Well, I'm going to share with you the story about the blind man who was healed by Jesus. After Jesus healed this man, he testified and confronted the religious leaders of that day because of their refusal to accept what Jesus did. At one point, the religious leaders asked this man's parents about their son to confirm he was actually born blind and about his healing. And John chapter 9 verses 18 to 23 records the following. It says, The Jews therefore did not believe it of him, that he had been blind and had received sight, until they called the parents of the very one who had received his sight, and questioned them, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, or who opened his eyes we do not know. Ask him, he's of age, he shall speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. For this reason his parents said, He's of age, ask him. The blind man's parents were afraid of being ostracized and kicked out of the church. Instead of telling the truth about their son being healed by Jesus, they succumbed to fear. Truth is always there, waiting to be revealed. But, as in this case, it is sometimes hidden because of fear. Fear will lead people to hide the truth. Fear will cause people to alter the truth. Fear will lead people to remain silent. Fear will cause people to lie. Fear is an enemy of truth. Now we come to a third enemy. We've had firstly tradition, secondly fear, and now the third enemy of truth is sentimentalism. You know, there's nothing quite like sentimentalism to override objective truth. Sentimentalism is defined as having or showing tender, gentle or delicate feelings in an excessive, superficial or maudlin way, and maudlin means foolishly, or tearfully sentimental. Being sentimental means being influenced by emotion rather than reason and acting from feeling rather than from practical motives. Caucasian people, on the whole, are naturally compassionate and will go to great lengths to offer to help the unfortunate 
and downtrodden. It's one of their strengths. But it's also one that can become a weakness, even to our own destruction, when we fail to think objectively and let our feelings rule the day. Truth tends to be left behind. Sentimentalism, not truth-based on the veritable evidence of the Bible, of history and race reality, has been used as the main tactic to drive foreign immigration and the welfare system for many decades going back to the 1700s. Now, the powers that be have thrown wide open the doors to welcome practically anyone, including enemies. The masses of refugees entering Europe is an example of that. In Joshua chapter 9 verses 1 to 27, there is another example of the danger of letting the appearance of things play on our compassionate nature. You see, Israel was commanded by God to destroy all the inhabitants of the land that they were going to possess. When the inhabitants of Gibeon in that land heard about what Israel was going to do, they purposely deceived Israel to save their own lives from destruction. They sent out envoys or ambassadors with worn-out sacks, wineskins worn out, torn and mended, patched sandals, worn-out clothes, and all the bread of their provision was dry and had become crumbled. They lied and said they were from a far country, and their appearance suggested that what they said was the truth. To cut a long story short, Israel hastily made a covenant of peace with the Gibeonites because they let their sob story and appearance play on the Israelites' compassionate, sentimental nature. Israel was deceived because they did not ask for the counsel of the Lord. They did not consult the word of God on this matter. Sentimentalism ruled over the truth. The transition from proper compassion to sentimental sentimentalism usually comes by way of emotional pleas. You know, like the ones that are constantly repeated on TV about the little third world, world children who are sitting there looking lifeless, sad and with flies buzzing around their faces. Just $10 a month will help feed a poor child, they say. But you know something? Problems like this never get solved. There are hundreds of such sob-stories that many people fall for. Protestant and Catholic churches alike are constantly pleading the plight of poor countries that need help. So thousands of good-hearted people 
send money or go on short-term mission trips, to help build little huts or church buildings, just to appease their self-induced guilt. After all, we have it so much better than they. Are all these mission activities based on the truth of the Word of God or on sentimentalism? Again, world missions have been going on for decades, even centuries, but nothing really changes in these countries. There is still a lot of corruption and poverty, and quite often the money given does not end up helping those it was given for. Now, I'm not suggesting that it's wrong to be compassionate. Jesus was compassionate, and he's our example. In Matthew 9:36, we're told, But when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Compassion is appropriate, but we must be aware that our compassion is to be guided by our head as well as our heart. Sentimentalism is a powerful motivator, but we need to be cautious. If you care to follow up this program, you can go on the internet and look up The Richest Beggar. There you can find lists of people who are millionaires and they made their money simply by sitting on the streets begging for money from passing pedestrians. Sentimentalism is an emotional response to situations and people we come across. Sometimes, if we only knew the facts, we might be less liberal to help those apparently in need. And because of that, sentimentalism is often an enemy of truth. Christianity, as understood from the Bible, is a practice of truth. But if truth about a lot of things is ever going to be discovered, one must take first personal responsibility to objectively find out what the Bible says and means. We need to learn to see the world as it is, and not through sentimental eyes. Be compassionate, but hold it in check by biblical truth and objective reasoning. Let the Bible be your guide, not your emotions. Well, my friends, it's time for us to stop today. In closing, I want to urge you to seek truth and not be fooled by the enemies of truth, that is, tradition, fear, and sentimentalism. So until next time then, this is Len signing off and wishing you God's blessings and a truth-filled life.